1: They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. We, <laughs> you these fools, are not crazy. This is hysteria. You can't handle the truth. The
2: brain has gone. This is Hysteria Fifty One.
0: The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here.
2: They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to the podcast that's never owned a space pen. But we did have this other pen growing up. It had a girl on it. You could twist the... the <laughs> <further> <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Mine you, had to,
3: is- mine, you had to turn upside down real quick just for authenticity. So I'm just letting you know. <laughs>
2: This, whether you like it or not, is Hysteria 51. No one wants to hear about your formative years. This isn't a horror podcast.
3: That is a scary thought.
2: <laughs> uh,
3: Brent's formative years. That should be my new podcast, John. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he annoys me in so many ways.
3: What are you in talking America, about? French? Me or him? <laughs> I know, I'm confused.
2: I, well, oh gosh. Uh, you know, <laughs> is, is that like a... a, a It's not a Freudian slip, like a Freudian inference. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) We are broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago. My name is John Goforth, and here alongside to give you a verbal hug are the smooth stylings of Mr. Brent Hand.
3: Not really sure how I feel about that phrasing, but uh, I'll let it go. No, I'll I'll accept that.
2: Know what gives me a verbal hug? Don't say it. Delicious soup. Well, I guess even old robots can learn new tricks. Covered in cheese muffins. I retract my former statement. (laughs) Anyway, Brent, we have another author interview this evening. But first, before we get to him, it brings to mind a question. Um, We're always talking about authors that we like and who we might want to have on the show. If you could interview any author, living or dead, who would you pick? And why? I can get you a dead author by 2 p.m. Uh, no, Seba, well, that's not what he meant. Go
3: go back to your beer. You see, I, I've actually found that I have to actually tell him no to every stupid thing he says. Otherwise, he takes a lack of response as consent.
2: You mean it isn't?
3: <laughs> I am not touching that with a tin pole. Anyway, uh... Keep him away I,
2: from college campuses.
3: I don't know. That's a hard one. If I could talk to anyone, I guess maybe Poe, and then I'd Pop him in the mouth for making so many emo
2: people through the years. Um, See, that's the thing, though. He was truly dark. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't doing, it wasn't some affectation for him.
3: Well, and I watched this documentary and it turns out that him and Abraham Lincoln fought vampires together. I don't know if you know that or not. Oh,
2: yes, yes. I saw the same documentary. It was great. Yeah. yeah. It was on PBS (laughs) Plus. I don't know. Do you have one? Like, do you have a strong opinion on that? I'd have to give it a lot of thought to like, like who could you like ring the most uh, uh, knowledge out of or whatever, but you know, just off the cuff. I think Mark Twain would be fascinating. Um, Yeah. I mean, every great quote is Mark Twain. (laughs) And such a good author, such an interesting guy. You know, when you read some of the interviews from him of the time, uh, it it seems like if nothing else, it would be a really fun and interesting conversation.
3: Yeah, and he'd use, you know, fun little... uh weird southern uh, 1800s dialect and stuff like that and, so a-
2: anecdotes and yeah yeah
3: right i guess would be the the way to say it i don't know some of them might be a little uh, but uh, they're probably fun for them
2: for the most part <laughs> I, I mean i hope i <laughs> he t- turns out to be a blinding racist but hope let's hope now let's hope he was progressive um the other one that comes to mind That, you know, I don't. Here's the thing. It's so hard to know who would actually be fascinating to talk to versus who was a good writer for what they did. Right. We've we've
3: talked to people and we've heard of people that talk to people that are amazing writers that then you talk to them and they're. Uh, well, some people are locked in themselves some people are antisocial some people can s- write the things they can't say this is not, not per se our experiences you know but um yeah you don't uh you don't know what you're going to get so to speak
2: yeah that's right that's almost right. like I a mean, box I, I, of
3: chocolates john
2: yeah. <laughs> see what i did there mm. I, I, I do know what you did there <laughs> um I, I agree with that. It, another one that comes to mind for me that I really like, I uh, like his writing. I like a lot of the, the quotes that come from his writing. And then the, he's, he's a poet. Robert Frost. Mm-hmm. My favorite quote in the world comes from a poem of his, A Servant to Servants. And that's, uh, The Best Way Out is Always Through. I mm-hmm. uh, love that quote. I've been, been a big fan of that for a long time. I'm also, you know, who isn't a fan of The uh, Road Not Taken? You know yeah uh, and that made all the difference or whatever you know that quote um that like like he was such a a wise man or at least comes across that way yeah like, right. right you might meet him he's like what? Hey, guys? <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> I, mean, I don't fucking know but uh yeah. uh and and uh you know that would i think meeting someone like that could also they say you know don't meet your heroes it could also really suck right, right? Like, well oh, absolutely God. This guy was a nincompoop. Yeah. This guy was an asshole or, you know, whatever.
3: Yeah. You know, Um, people come across one way and then are uh, very
2: different sometimes in life. So uh, don't meet your heroes. You and I both went with dead folks living. I think Stephen King would be really interesting to sit down and talk with.
3: Well, if you're sitting home and screaming, Martin Keller, Martin Keller, you're in luck because he's on the show today. <laughs> or I guess we're in luck cuz we got to I'm do it. I'm guessing
2: at least 25% of the audience uh was was doing that very thing, Brent. Well, this is actually
3: a really great book. I, I enjoyed it. Um and he's you know, I'm really looking forward to talking to him. We are talking the Space Pen Club. Now, I'm going to tell the the full title here. Deep breath. The Space Pin Club Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, UFO Disclosure, Consciousness, and Other Mind Zoomers. It's a mouthful. That's the second line.
2: That is a mouthful.
3: Yeah. So here's a quote from the author before we get him on here. Uh, The Spaceman Club is written as much for those who know very little about the perplexing subject as it is for those with a deep interest, including the various researchers, debunkers, and disinformation agents, and media and government figures with whom I traveled along this cluttered cosmic highway. But it also features close encounters with other phenomena and topics, including quantum entanglement, synchronicity, the tarot, electromagnetic low-frequency weapons, crop circles, stigmata, remote viewing, precognition, conspiracy bots, Fisher space pen technology, and the star knowledge of the Lakota, Sioux, and other First Nation tribes. Now, I might have thrown a little bit in there. Uh, could have been the Lakota Sioux part, could have been a different other part that wasn't I, actually part I, I, of it.
2: There was one other piece. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. The
3: thing I think I, I dig is the approach of lumping so much together and seeing how it applies to humanity itself. He kind of did like this. um This isn't the way I would say it, but it was almost like a guerrilla tactic. He was in this forever. And then he wrote the story about his experience in it, kind of like a Hunter S. Thompson. Well, I experienced it in in order to be able to write about the UFO phenomena. He lived it for several decades.
2: (laughs) It would be one way to put it. That's why I did all those drugs. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he's
3: also a former pop culture journalist, and he's an unproduced screenplay writer. Uh, We all have that in us. His work has appeared, though, in Rolling Stone, Leaders, The Washington Post. Uh, The Boston Globe, Final Frontier, Billboard, right on the Star Tribune, Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Journal, City Pages, and others. And then he's had appearances on Today, 48 Hours, PBS, Public Radio, and more importantly, and he's going to have to update his bio now, Hysteria 51.
2: That's right. So we are going to talk to the man, the myth, the legend himself. But we got to pay the bills first, Brent. Yeah, so we're going to go to
3: break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to, as we said, Martin Keller, who's spent the last 25 years working in this crazy world of the uh, the unknown, so to speak, and uh, his book, The Spaceman Club, which is out now. So that's coming up next after the break on Asteria 51. <laughs> Nation, what difficulties did you have with learning a new language in school or whenever you did it? Did you do it through textbooks or did you try to use some weird online thing? I know I took two years in high school and two years in college and I knew nothing. And that's because I wasn't using something like what we have been blessed to have as a longtime sponsor. And we use it, Rosetta Stone. They're the most trusted language learning program And it's available on desktop or as an app. And the reason why I enjoy doing it, it immerses you in the language you want to learn instead of just being silly drills and a class you can sleep through.
2: Uh, I definitely use it. I I think it's really cool how they have the speech recognition program on there. It gives you the
1: feedback on the pronunciation. Are you making fun of me
3: because I can never do that? That's what you're getting at right
1: now. (laughs) It's like, what are you trying to do? Do it right. (laughs) Uh, but it is really cool. They've got all kinds of lessons. You can do it uh, offline. You don't even have to be online for it.
3: That is great because it's right there in your pocket or at your home and you can do it. You got 15 minutes. Let's go to town. Let's do it. You know, and mm-hmm. it's amazing value. Lifetime membership has all 25 languages available for any trips. You need language in life. You need to brush up on stuff. Maybe you just met a girl or a guy or a non-binary and they're from uh, somewhere else. Somewhere, you know, who knows? Well, if they're in the one of the 25, Rosetta's going to work for you, (laughs) and you get lifetime access to all of that. And there is a 50% offer, so it is a steal. So don't put off learning language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Hysteria 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for that 50% off that I just told you about.
1: Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off, unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today.
2: nation we are back and as we told you before that little journey through commercial a commercial land (laughs) uh we have a special guest joining us this evening is none other than the author mr martin keller the
3: space pen club not a club that i'm in I'm, I'm kind of upset about that martin
1: you might be surprised when a lot of people discover what the the club is about They they realize they've been members for years
3: well i was just that's why i wanted to start out tell everyone listening about the space pen
1: club and 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 how you fell into this well the space pen club is a, is an actual club that started in my collegiate years in central minnesota and one of my classmates who was working at the bookstore found a fisher space pen was pretty intrigued by it and uh brought it back to the dorms and everyone kind of "Ooh, ah the first pen to write in space you know (laughs) astronauts have used it i can write Uh, upside down (laughs) it writes underwater (laughs) it writes across greece it's it's a high-tech highly engineered pen the company's been around for about 60 years and you get all kinds of different models of space pens the pen really represented i think to the to the club members uh, personal exploration cosmic consciousness and communication transcendence and the occasional quest for uh, girls tunage and controlled substances <laughs> yeah we were come on we, we were college, college kids yeah. <laughs>
3: Uh, Yeah, I I love you even have pictures of you guys from back then in in the book.
1: Yeah, that's fun stuff. There's over 70 pictures from those festivities Mm -hmm. with the leaves and rites of spring. But, you know, the, the founder, Denny Lynch, who sadly is no longer with us, he really thought the pen represented possibilities. The reason I named the book that is because, well, the subtitle number one is close encounters of the fifth kind ufo disclosure consciousness and other mind zoomers uh the reason i named the book that is because a book about ufo's is really about this book in particular is really about the possibilities of what the world of U- of of acknowledging ufo's or ets or whatever these things are what the possibilities are for the for the planet and i think that's that's a, one of the major themes that runs through
3: the book. Well, I think it's an important time, too. It's 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 coming out at a great time. Look at what's going on in the news right now. And for better or for worse, the, the word disclosure gets thrown about a lot. And we, we could talk about that after a while. But at least the cultural, it's in the cultural zeitgeist, you know, and it might be being overlooked, but at least people are being given the word UFOs and UAPs and 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 phenomena like that uh, with their normal news now, which is something that a few years ago would never have happened.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, I couldn't have planned this if I were in charge of anything. Uh, <laughs> the timing has been, so you didn't get a shill check
3: you know, it, to put this out is what you're saying. What's that, what's that? I said you didn't get a shill check to put this out. Is that what you're yeah, saying? I, exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm really working for the government, but no, I, uh, I've been accused of that by the way, but you know, it took me about 10 years to write this book. And I put it aside for two years for various personal and professional reasons. So if it had come out two years earlier, I'd be playing catch up with the news cycle because the media coverage on the on the on the run up to this uh, government report from the Pentagon and the director of intelligence that landed on June 25th, uh, you know, it was a tsunami Mm -hmm. and there's still widespread interest. Well, the report was kind of a dud, and we can probably get into that mm. later. I think the, the best thing to come out of it is that the media now is taking this very seriously. Uh, the public, uh, who I think is, is in well in front of this, uh, the, of the media and the government, you know, most people believe UFOs are real, and a lot of people believe they ETs have visited or are surveilling the planet. So yeah, it's a it's just impeccable time for a book like this to come out.
2: Well, Martin, my uh, my dad used to say, and I'm sure he didn't originate this, but my, you know, it's better. To, I'd rather be lucky than good. And <laughs> uh, uh, but luckily, you're both here. Uh, you were lucky in the timing, and the book is good. So, tell us a little bit more specifically about the book. We understand the origin of the Space Pen Club, but uh, you know, it's a it's a, it sounds like that that was the touchstone for which you go off into numerous uh, directions. Tell yeah. us more about uh, if we go out and, and buy the book, what, what we'll be reading.
1: Well, the book is really an insider's tale, and that's yet another subhead on the, on the book, an insider's tale, personal odyssey. It really goes deep into the, uh, what Dr. Stephen Greer at the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, or CSETI, used to call the UFO ghetto, the UFO subculture mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I was Greer's publicist for about five or six years in the, in the nineties. And, uh, it really, you know, this book touches on everything from so-called abductions. You meet debunkers who've been in the, in the community UFO world for years. Uh, it looks at the secrecy, the how, and the why. You know you'll also meet some astronauts as a kid i was a huge space geek i wrote to nasa and they sent me autograph <laughs> pictures of all the astronauts from the mercury gemini and apollo programs
3: that's awesome I Ended
1: up meeting ed mitchell and spending quite a bit of time with him because he aligned himself with c-seti at one point so you're going to meet astronauts you're going to meet some uh, native american uh, medicine men who started the uh, Star Knowledge Conference in South Dakota on a reservation? So there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of storytelling going on here. There's a lot of narrative threads, and it's it's a pretty engaging uh, story. Before we lose
2: that thread, before we move on, you mentioned Stephen Greer. You said you you know you worked with him for a while in the nineties. Obviously, a lot's happened involving Stephen Greer, you know, over the course of time from the from the earlier disclosure stuff he was doing, the, the big event to some of the documentaries that he's put together. And to say he's a polarizing figure in the ufology world is is uh, to understate it, to say the least. I'd love to get your take on today as we take the, the totality of the of the work of 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 Dr. Greer. Are you a fan? You know, he's made a lot of bold claims. What's your overall takeaway there?
1: Well, a couple things. First, I I met Greer originally as a freelance journalist. I ended up uh, spending some time with him in L.A. and then later in Colorado at the International Association of New Science, which is no longer around. It's a very interesting nonprofit. And uh, uh, I thought almost immediately, this guy is a pariah. And... 30, you know, fast forward 30 years, he still is. <laughs> or maybe for different reasons than the ones I perceived back in the 90s.
3: One of the things you said in the book that, and this is completely paraphrasing because I can't remember how you said it, but it was that he's such a polarizing person that people either absolutely hate him or think he like walks on water, so yeah, to speak, you know, and that's it,
1: exactly right. And, you know, the truth is generally always in the middle when you have those two types of extremes. But the thing that intrigued me about Greer and still does was his whole Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind initiative, the CE5 initiative, and the contact protocols he had developed. I was interested in UFOs for a long time as a kid and, and had sightings in high school with some high school buddies. And uh, once I went to college, I didn't think twice about him. But uh, when I was approached to maybe interview him for a magazine article, I uh, I said, yeah, that sounds interesting. You know that, I haven't thought about this subject in 20 years, and uh, the more I talk with him, the more I realize that you know this might be the next wave in ufology, or this whole thing on. Uh, he, you know, he dwells on the whole uh, imperative of consciousness discussion, and that intrigued the hell out of me. And the book, at one level, kind of threads through different viewpoints on consciousness and what the implications are. So, I mean, I was intrigued by those things with Greer. Now, I know Stephen has made a lot of missteps. Uh, He's a human being. I'm surprised he's kept out at it this long. He's virtually invested his entire life on this after a really pretty astonishing medical career that he gave up. So, as I explained to a friend from the club the other day, you know, Greer's intentions are good. I think they're pure but his warts are the wartiest. And uh, <laughs> I point a few of those out in the book and, and uh, people who follow ufology will know that he's currently on the outs with Danny Sheehan over uh, his latest film, Cosmic Hoax yeah. for uh, putting words in the mouth of Sheehan that apparently weren't there originally. So it's a, you know, it's probably a little too inside baseball for, for hysteria 51, but maybe not. Something that you said
3: that I've heard from a lot of people is you talked about, you were kind of in the UFO closet for a while. And I I can completely understand that. And we've talked to a lot of people that are scientists or pilots or whatever they are and feel the same way. What brought you out? So to speak, was there an aha moment or was it just, I've gotten older. I don't care. I just want to be in this was, what was your journey?
1: Well, before i met greer like six a good six months or more before i met greer i started experiencing some high strangeness in my home with my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife of 27 years susan Um, lights coming on that we had turned off consistently uh and then one night not only were the lights on but there were sounds associated with the lights being on like cat rutting really really strange animal-like sounds and uh we always said like why didn't you turn the lights off last night well i did you must have turned them on no i didn't and you know this you know this went on for about a month and then i started having a series of really interesting dreams if they were dreams and uh, those are outlined pretty heavily in the book the thing that sealed it though is is in uh may of that year i think it was 1990 I had a dream where I was in a harbor city that I didn't recognize and a flying busk and it comes flying over the bay and down in the water, there's a, there's a collapsed pier and it's smoldering, you know, it's like a little white smoke coming up out of it. And I thought, man, this, this is a, that was a really lucid, you know, visual dream. I'm kind of a power dreamer. I usually remember one or two dreams per night. Yeah, but this dream was had such great detail, you know, especially a flying bus, which I later learned is, is masked uh, imagery for flying saucers. Six weeks later, I'm in, I'm in Boston with my parents, taking my dad to Fenway because he was a lifelong Red Sox fan and had never been to the Green Monster. So <clears throat> I'm walking over to meet them at their hotel the first day of the games and i'm walking over this footbridge and i stop and i and i look across the harbor and this is the exact same scene that i saw in my wow. dream six weeks ago in minneapolis so precognition uh you know i stood there probably 20 minutes with my mouth open like what the hell is going <laughs> on do i need to to seek a mental health help here <laughs> or And then, you know, I kind of, in the book, I replay like, uh, well, all the things that led up to this moment on the footbridge, and and then I go off to the baseball game. (laughs) But uh, very interesting arc, if you will, of finding out about the non-locality of consciousness. In other words, your awareness can be in two places at once. I can be sleeping in Minneapolis, but (laughs) I'm really locked on consciously to this Boston Harbor scene. Of course, when it, when I actually realized that standing on that footbridge in Boston, there was no flying bus, which is probably a good thing, but there was the collapsed pier. When
2: you had the dream, were you reflective on it or did, it, did seeing it in real life bring it back to you?
1: Uh, I reflected on it pretty heavily because of all the weird stuff that was going on in the house. I also had a series of dreams. Prior to the precognitive dream, about the newspaper hitting the front steps at home, and I would start reading the headlines, and and then my ego state would shut that down. Like, no, the paper's not even here yet. You can't do this. But I, that was a reoccurring dream, and it, and looking back on it and reflecting on it, as you say, it almost seemed like I was being instructed somehow in consciousness. So when I meet Steve Greer, you know, I obviously tell him all this. Stuff as a preface, thinking he doesn't think I'm I'm, uh, some kind of flake from the land of 10,000 lakes, you know, from Minnesota. (laughs) But uh, a little smile crossed his face and he said, well, you know, a good part of my lecture is all about the non-locality of consciousness and how consciousness is the imperative and the equal footing that sentient beings share, including uh, that with the ETs. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. is probably one of the most brilliant people I've ever met, certainly a visionary. But uh, as I said, his warts are the wartiest.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting thing, the idea of consciousness, because it's something that science can't explain away the experiences you have are real because you've had them and other people can say, well, I don't believe you, but that doesn't change if it happened or not. And so that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people don't come forward is the, the worry of being told, I don't believe you, or you're a liar, or it will um, follow them into their everyday life. If they're X, Y, and Z, you know, who, who knows what they do for a living. So it is an interesting and, and almost, It's it's off putting to think that people can't be honest and tell about these things and and then have it researched in a scientific manner because
2: of the stigma. Well, and the and the fun part is now obviously this hasn't been proven out, but as as we advance in science and we start to see things like oh, I'm forgetting the term, where where a, a, a a Proton across the universe is connected to the proton here and they can observe that. And, you know, one yeah. one starts rotating one way and, and the other one starts rotating in the same way. Yeah, they're, that's, they're, that's, that's quantum action. Quantum action. Thank you. What, so, I, what
1: Einstein that, called spooky action at a distance. And yes. He, he was yes. intrigued by this. And I also think it scared the hell out of him because he didn't know how to think about it how to explain
2: yeah. it, right. Uh, well, there's there's no scientific breakthrough that has linked these things, that certainly does pose an interesting question around the ability of of consciousness not to be rooted in one place, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. and I, I think you know we're on the I think we're just in our infancy and uh, on the whole science of consciousness thing. Dr. Ed Mitchell, the Apollo astronaut that I met. Six guy to walk on the moon. He had a major epiphany coming back from the moon where he felt like the whole universe was alive and that everything was connected. He uh, went on to, f- to uh, create the uh, Noetic Foundation which whose sole mission really was to study consciousness And a lot of good work has come out of that uh, institution with different uh, academics. I-, I have to share a spoiler here in the book. Uh, we're at a conference that C. seti had organized and putting together their first disclosure effort in 1997. We're on the West Coast. We've got we've flown in a couple Russian generals who are privy to UFO events in in their country, and Ed Mitchell is there along with uh, uh, Brian O'Leary, who was slated for the early Mars missions until NASA scrubbed that program for. I don't think they've ever really established why they did that, other than probably they thought they weren't going to get funding for it. Budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably budget. I NASA's all about budget, number one. But uh, Brian O'Leary and Ed Mitchell are, are just kind of talking casually during these discussions, which were all filmed and uh, were going to be used in the Project Starlight disclosure effort best available evidence, et cetera, et cetera. And they're talking casually, and and Ed says to Brian, you know, the whole uh, Einstein's theory of relativity will never be disproven or advanced until they introduce the integer of consciousness into that equation, that famous equation of Einstein's. These guys are talking about it like, uh, you know, what do you want for lunch, a sandwich or Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm sitting off to the side going, man, is it too late to to get in a, a time machine and go back and change my English major to astrophysics? You know man,
2: right. So conversations like that, they would be so much fun to be a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. I always thought the same thing about the, uh, uh, the, the lunch that allegedly happened with uh, Enrico Fermi. Uh, uh that, 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 you know, kind of where the Fermi paradox came right. from, <laughs> where all, you know, all these scientists are sitting around shooting the shit, eating a ham sandwich. <laughs> and, you know, he, he poses this, if, if that lunch happened, man, I would like to have been there.
1: I was exposed to a lot of conversations like that. And many of them are recollected in the book. Some of them, uh, per, uh, you know, right down to the, to the verbiage used. So, you know, there's lots of layers in the book. Um, I guess the reason I think you asked me earlier, Brent, why now did I come out with this and and write this it's, you know, it's something I felt that number one, I had to get it off my chest. Mm -hmm. Number two, I'm getting up in years. I wanted to get this down on, on paper if for no other reason than that. My kids and siblings, some of whom are terribly skeptic on this topic could read one day and say wow what the hell happened to that guy (laughs) (laughs) right you know i had these collections of experiences and encounters and then this odyssey through the c seti years and now into the what looks like we're on the doorstep of government disclosure so the book goes from you know my My high school years until the present day. In fact, I was, I was uh, revising chapter 10. Uh, right up until publication.
3: <laughs> I think it was you were in, in writing in June. May or something. Yeah I, was,
1: yeah. I was gonna say
3: there was dates in there from this year. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of pushing for disclosure, you you brought up the Starlight Coalition. You you were pushing for disclosure then with, with President Clinton. And in fact you and Greer and many other people were the ones that were had signed that paper that went to his desk saying, yeah. Tell us what's going on. Can you can you sum up Starlight Coalition in a few Words, <laughs> probably not. But <laughs> well, I'll try. Right. I, I, can,
1: I tend to be long winded. That's all hey, that's what we'll, we're here for. It. <laughs> the Starlight Coalition was a group of interested people and organizations. The people that signed that letter to Clinton included Jesse Marcel Jr., whose father was at Roswell, and I think you know got played ten days to Sunday on what really happened there. Other folks included uh, Kent. Uh, Jeffries, who had done a lot of subsequent Roswell research, Ed Mitchell, the astronaut, Uh, Bootsy Galbraith and Sandra Wright, who were friends with Lawrence Rockefeller, and they got Lawrence to write the check for this project and for the Asilomar conference that I just talked about earlier. Uh, Who else was involved in that? A friend of mine, Kevin Foley, who had done advanced work for the Clinton-Gore uh, campaigns. It was pretty well-connected in Washington. He was part of that. Uh, you know, it was about a dozen people, including some CSETI members like Steve's right-hand person, Sherry Adamack. Um, We started out collecting the best available evidence, photographs, tes- testimony from pilots, people from uh, agencies who were r- willing to risk their pensions because at this point there was no whistleblower protection this is like 90 96 97 and this is
3: right when all the lawsuits were coming out with area 51 and the burning of the materials and things there was no protection
1: none yeah. whatsoever so you know these witnesses were were taking a huge risk they all signed aff- legal affidavits saying that their testimony is true bob dean was part of that sergeant major dean who Pretty much made a career out of talking about the assessment some document he had read in the uh, in the early 60s late 50s that's pretty much said yeah et civilizations have been visiting us for who knows how long probably since the planet began to evolve with conscious life forms and uh, you know it changed his life he made you know he made a career out of it on the on the saucer circuit as i like to call it so those were the kind of folks involved that disclosure effort was pretty minuscule compared to the one that Greer launched at the national press club. in, I think it was 2001. Yeah. And by then I had washed out of sea for a lot of reasons, mostly because I, I had a growing family and I needed to make, make a more decent living. You know, there was, there was no paid position at sea i I got my expenses covered for travel and phone calls and stuff like that, but, uh, I always lobbied. I said, you know, go out and fundraise for, a, you know, so you can keep me on it at, at, at what I do, because all things considered, I, I turned out to be a pretty good publicist, just as I was a pretty good journalist. So
2: following along those lines, uh, you, you've also influenced a lot of people across ufology, both names that are known and names that are unknown. And one of the names that is known uh, is one of the folks that said some really nice things about this book, and that's uh, none other than Mr. Dan Aykroyd. Dan, um, yeah, wonderful quote from him about the about some of the content of the book, and, and really just nice words. Obviously, we've talked about him on the show before. He's pretty vocal about his his beliefs in in ufology, and and you know, uh, obviously, he's got the vodka brand as well. Having read that quote, uh, I, I was curious if um, if if you know him personally, if if you guys have had discussions about this stuff.
1: Well, number one, it was a very generous quote, and it's quoted at length in the uh, the book's website at thespacepenclub.com. The whole the whole quote is there from Dan. Well, almost the whole quote. <laughs> there's a couple lines we edited out. I don't know if we want to talk about that or not. It's kind of humorous, but again, it's really inside baseball. Oh yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear that. All Absolutely. Right. All right. Uh, I'll get to it in a second. Just remind me. Don't <laughs> forget. Okay. All right. Um, there's a short quote on the on the cover of the book by Dan, and uh, you know, mister aykroyd Ackroyd's been in this uh, game probably as long as I have. He's a, he's a lifer. He's obviously always been interested in the paranormal. He's produced a bunch of different shows on that you know he, he's uh he's no stranger to the topic in fact he comes out in his longer endorsement of the book and says you know in addition to being a great read and and accusing me of obsessing over over some of the details in the book he said this book also functioned as a great bibliography because i i hope i've cited some of the really great important research that has been done by other ufologists and people interested in topic i don't really know Aykroyd personally but we have a mutual r&b band that we both love called the lamont cranston band from minneapolis the cranstons this is a little known fact were asked to be the backing band for the blues brothers when when they blew up they were Uh. they were going to go on tour and the cranstons Unfortunately said no, Wow, a missed opportunity. I'm sure there's wow. some, some big regrets there, but these guys were pretty hot back in the day in the, in the eighties and Aykroyd's always been a big fan. And he's still personally in touch with Pat Hayes, the leader of the group who plays guitar and, and harmonica and, and their road manager, Rico Anderson. I knew was in touch with Ackroyd's camp. He's living back in Canada now. So I approached Rico last fall. I said, Hey, I got this book that's gonna come out. Do you think Ackroyd would take a look at it and write an introduction or an endorsement for it? He says, well, let's send it up the line and see what happens. So I sent them the manuscript in November. I did a heavy revision of it this spring, especially chapters nine and 10, because there was so much news breaking around it. And sure. I, I had done some more thinking on it, but, um, in March, I got this fabulous endorsement from Dan Aykroyd. And he said, I really enjoyed the manuscript and use this quote. In however, whatever channels you want to use it in. So we've been lever- yeah. leveraging that pretty heavily. The funny, yeah, the, absolutely. the funny thing that he wrote at the end of it is that I'm putting this manuscript on the top of my shelf next to the look magazine cover of Liz Taylor that features the, the Barney Barney and Betty Hill abduction story wow 1963 probably uh, you know people in the 60s that that uh, were aware of that first uh, so called abduction or close encounter the four, fourth kind as i prefer to call it They'll remember that cover because it was pretty revealing, you know, mm-hmm. Liz Taylor. Mm-hmm. And then when she was making The Taming of the Shrew with Richard Burton, and she's got this plunging neckline. There's a, there's a photo of it in the book. It's it's pretty unforgettable, especially to uh, guys like Aykroyd and me, who were probably in our adolescence when that, when <laughs> that hit the newsstands.
3: Helping you along
2: with puberty. Amongst his collection, you're in rarefied air. I, I,
0: I guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, it's, it's UFO closet, I think. <laughs> well, you talked about disclosure.
3: You were pushing for it, and it's something that we are. we had talked about just a lot on the show recently. It's been in the news everywhere. Here's a quote that was, you had put in the book and I really liked it. It says, the UFO matter will be a case where the cover-up is the disclosure and the disclosure is the cover-up. Deny everything, but let the public sentiment take its course. Let skepticism do our work for us until the truth becomes a common acceptance. That was from General Nathan Twinning, uh, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's a hell of a
1: quote. That's a hell of a PR strategy, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That it is. How
3: do you define disclosure? Or what is your idea of, you would say we have disclosure. Uh, I know that is a, uh, a a trick question, but um what does that look like to you?
1: Well, I think in reality it's it's the an official pronouncement from our government and maybe other governments around the world working in concert to say yes, there are ETs, these are who they are and then to present someone from the ET world some folks seem to think that that's already happened with different presidents like eisenhower number one i don't know i you know i'm always skeptical when i hear stuff like that i said you know show me the show me the beef show me the money yeah Um, sure but i think it has to be it has to be an official statement like that with facts with the beans Representative, the proverbial from, landing on the or, the
3: White House lawn
1: type thing. Well, yeah. yeah, yes, and no. You know, from the I keep hearing the term Galactic uh, Federation, which you know maybe that's that's the, organi- the organization that needs to come forward in in unison with governments around the world, and then there needs to be a, a strategy. Like, what happens next? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that intrigued me ab- about Greer's organization because. His whole thing is we don't need the government to contact E.T. We can do it ourselves with these protocols, with these working groups, which he's established all over uh, the Western civilization right now, which he likes to call citizen diplomacy. I think that's a really accurate term for it. And I allude to some different social movements like this that force the government's hand, like number one, the government denied for years that they did atomic testing on servicemen and women and the public at large, and they, they denied it, they denied it, they denied it. And then in, I think, 94 under uh, the Department of Energy under Hazel Leary, who happens to be from Minnesota, they came out and they said, yes, here are the files. Uh, it's real, and I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of money paid out to litigants who've been chasing this uh this that disclosure down for you know last four or five decades or more so that that's to me what it looks like
3: how disappointing was the the release as of late
1: oh man <laughs> <laughs> i downloaded that damn report six times thinking thinking more co- than nine pages <laughs> my computer must be glitching i i thought there were 70 pages to this thing uh, yeah yeah it, it was it was a major disappointment and i like to think of it like this you know if, if you think of our government as a publicly held company which is what our democracy sometimes resembles uh, the leadership and the board running this business would all be fired for uh, either failing to know what these things are or for consistently failing to reveal what and who they are i mean the shareholders would demand that they be thrown out on their tails.
2: We could go back and forth for you know an entire hour just about uh, the developments of the last few years. Obviously you you are considering it the way that we are in the sense that you went back and even rewrote some of your book because of it. So given your definition of disclosure, Stuff has been happening since 2017, right? Stuff has been happening, yeah. meaning uh, we're getting we're getting uh, people who wouldn't speak before now speaking. The tic tac, all of that videos. There, the the actual governments releasing videos. All of this stuff didn't happen before. What is your forty thousand foot view of what's happening right now? Does this pl- obviously that's a lot different than somebody showing up with an alien? Do you think this is part of disclosure or something just completely different?
1: You know, that's a really good question it's also a really tough question to answer sure. um i was listening to grant cameron's podcast about six weeks ago with danny sheehan and uh, some other researchers i don't know if your your uh listeners are familiar with sheehan but he's you know he helped litigate watergate the pentagon papers wounded knee iran contra this guy's been kind of a hero of mine through uh, most of my life just because he serves the public interest and he's always exposing the government for the nefarious things that it does in our name and uh, i actually helped recruit him to the C settings starlight coalition uh program i met him at a ufo conference i was actually shocked to see him there i just think you know during this podcast everyone including sheehan kept saying why is this happening now? That's the number one question the government needs to tell us now. I, I know, and I think the media stories like in the New York Times that started breaking in 2017 and continued to 2021, I think that put pressure on individuals. I think this Harry Reid thing, you know, Harry's center, retired senator from Nevada, he's to be uh, celebrated on one level for getting the funding, For that uh, thing in Nevada that Robert Bigelow's Mm -hmm. people took a look at, and that uh, from which Lou Elizano and Chris Mellon and those guys started to appear on the scene, I don't think it's it's orchestrated. I think a lot of this stuff is is happening in and of itself. But it it does make you wonder why is it happening now? And you know, I know what Steve Greer thinks because he just made a whole new film about it called cosmic hoax warning that this is this is a setup to uh to get the def- funding for defense department for space-based weapons and to turn the ets into the next evil empire as reagan once characterized uh the soviet union so there's that whole line of thinking um, personally i i'm shocked but i think the, the most positive thing to come out of it is that the media and now a lot of people are are thinking? Well, this is a real subject, so maybe I should pay attention. Maybe I should read one of these crazy UFO books. Why not read the Space Fan Club? That's you right. Know, I wrote this book as much for people who don't know anything about this as for those who are deeply entrenched in the UFO. World. I think that,
3: and I think that comes through well because if you you do a good job of giving the layman look at insider things, I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's a good expression. Let me write
3: that down. Use that on my blog. There you (laughs) go, right? (laughs) It's an interesting time that we're looking at, you know, with this whole disclosure. And it feels, I know a lot of people, and I've said this too, consider the source and what we're going through. And look who the people that have popped back up and now are doing the tours and talking and Richard Doty and people like that, that were around pushing the government's made up stories in the
1: past, classic disinformation agent who was proud of it. And now he's on our side. I'm having a hard time. With that, that
3: is my thing. And I keep <laughs> seeing him on all these shows and people are like this man is, Oh, I'm just, I'm so excited to have him on here. I'm like, why that is, I, I just talk about sleeping with the enemy. And I, I really feel like I, I'm not saying that Greer is correct on this. I'm not saying that, that he's incorrect, but I, 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 so many people got disclosure fever, and I think that they need to look at it a little bit more subjectively or or give it a better glance than just going, yay, this is all true or not. Consider the source.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For- well, that's 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 a good lens to look at everything through, really, but also disclosure. You know, Dodie, there's a saying, it, you know, if you join the Marine Corps and you do your hitch and you come out. You're never not a Marine.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, when did you say <laughs> yeah.
1: temper Faye or fire or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, Semper Fi. yeah, they're, they're always, they're always Marines. And, and I think that that unfortunately might be true for guys that worked in the intelligence agencies, like, Dope. do you ever retire? Like, yeah, how can you trust him? Exactly. Even if he's swearing on a Bible and you like, oh, you know, he makes some claims in close encounters of the fifth kind film. That Greer produced in the last couple of years, he claims that they paid media millions of dollars in cash to shut up about this. Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty serious claim. Uh, he admits that the military indus- intelligence industrial complex has the ability to hoax abductions and has been doing that yep. since the fifties. I mean. That that should be national headlines. I mean, there should be reporters crawling through that, looking for documents and and calling for hearings. You know, like they had M- the MK Ultra hearings in the seventies on the dosing of our servicemen and women with LSD, part mm-hmm. of a mo- behavior modification study, which I think went much deeper than that. And I get into that in chapter three of the book, pretty pretty heavily. Uh, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that we're gonna see the collateral damage that washes up on the shore with disclosure. All right, these things are real. They're from Alpha Centauri or wherever, and maybe 10 other places in the galaxy. But what about this abduction phenomena? Oh, I mean, that that, that's a, that's mm. a whole nother can of worms that nobody wants to go to. It, it's like fly paper. You touch it. It's, you're not going to come unglued from it. I, I think one of the
3: most <laughs> terrifying answers we could get was the answer that we got, which was, uh, yeah, we don't know what these things are. They're up there. We have no, we have no idea if that's the case. Holy shit. You know?
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. They know what, they know what it is, you know, twining in uh 47, said in a classified memo, and I'm going to look at my notes here and read this. He said uh, that they were not of this world 74 years ago, quoting, stating that the phenomena reported as something real and not visionary or fictitious. And he went on to describe the extreme rates of climb and other characteristics that precisely match the recorded capabilities of the objects in these recent Recently released navy Navy footage, so I mean this is kind of an old hat for anybody who's been paying attention. Here's a guy, and this this document was obtained under the Freedom of Information Act. Here's Twining in '47 saying, "Yeah, they're real. They're here," and uh, you know, basically putting it out there for people to decide what to do next. Um, it's interesting because in 2012 about 15 different governments around the world just open up their UFO files including England although I think England is still sitting on on a, on a stack of stuff that'll never be declassified but uh our government would never do that I don't think yeah. I think we're kind of leading leading the uh the embargo as uh, the truth embargo as uh Steve Bassett calls it
3: you worked with Csetti you talk in the book how SETI Itself you, you, is listening out there is a waste of money. What's a valid way to look for light, or what should people, either being with uh, organizations that have money or. The lay people that are out and listening to this, what do you think their best bet is? You know, there's stuff out there that is trying a uh, Skylab and, and things like that now that are trying to scan the the skies and, and more of a crowdsource type thing. Do you have opinion on that or or, or are we just at the mercy of the government?
1: You know, the, the whole SETI thing uh, just seems to me like a colossal waste of money. They don't have any re- results to show after, what, 30 years? Yeah. It might be longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know that's where the that's where the academy is we're using radio signals which i think is probably not something that the et's are are looking at too hard Uh, i think they have other technological spectrums that they utilize including consciousness and there's a lot of cases where you can where that's illustrated one of my favorites is uh one from the i think the the 70s in indiana or illinois out on the interstate freeway where an an object was literally stalling out traffic along the freeway because it was hovering over over uh you know trucks and cars and one trucker got on his cb radio and said hey et if you got your ears on let's talk and and this object moved right over his (laughs) right over his truck and <laughs> followed him down the highway for a bit. And then there's, you know, there's another case like that. Breaker of, one uh, nine. The <laughs> so <laughs> they obviously have capabilities of, of listening and, and maybe even telepathically picking up thought waves from people. And that's something that Greer has been on about for a long time in his contact protocols. But, uh, you know, I, I think citizen diplomacy, citizen sky watches. I think that's the way to go. Um, I think the ETS have kind of washed their hands of governments. That they, you know, they can't be trusted. They're not going to do what needs to be done. That's why we're going to uh, maybe show ourselves to the layperson on the street, or out in the woods, or on the interstate highway system.
2: Well, Martin, that is probably the perfect place to leave it, uh, as we as we discuss where they're showing themselves to us. Before we go, let us know where they can find your book uh, and any of your other uh, social details.
1: The best place to buy the book right now is amazon.com. What I like to call the internet general store. <laughs> uh, right. You can probably get it the same day you order it. If you're so inclined, if you go to the book's website, the spacepenclub.com, you can find a handy link to, to jump to order it on Amazon. I'm, trying to blog there at least once or twice a week on different subjects related to this very broad discussion there's some pretty fun blogs on there currently I'll be posting a couple more yet this week social media I've got a Facebook group that I'm trying to grow called the space pen club so look for that on Facebook I'm trying to get my instagram thing going but you know i I've got a day job so I'm <laughs> I've been, I've been, my hands have been a little tight on social, but I, I might enlist my 24 uh, year old son who's got more time on his hands to me to run that, but uh, that will get uh, populated pretty soon. But I, I wanted to thank you guys. This has been fun. And as I told Brent coming into this, I said, how could I not do a show called Hysteria 51? <laughs> I, t- I right told on, him i was so excited got it, when, right people, <laughs> when, when people <laughs> uh, get awesome. our name. That's
2: amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Martin, this has been a pleasure. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. And Nation, we are going to take our final break, and we'll be back right after this.
3: John, are your warts the wartiest? They are the wordiest. I knew it. Seabot owes me fifteen bucks now.
2: <laughs> Fuck. I, you know, I didn't expect to hear that phrase today. I certainly didn't expect to hear it twice. I've never heard. I've never heard that before. Is that? No, a, I hadn't either. I'm just saying that. Yeah, phrase. no, I was. That was awesome. I was like, that's a really. So I, no, I enjoyed the conversation. That, admittedly, uh, most of the things that he talks about, uh, both in the book and some of the things he talked about here, I, I much more think of as thought experiments rather than. Um, uh, you know aspects of reality but um, uh, nonetheless I they he approaches it with a kind of open approach and uh, it's uh, it, it's fun for folks like me to at least engage with them as as thought experiments
3: well yeah and the, the point of it is if it's a thought of experiment or not we're trying to get to the bottom of that and uh, he's been at the forefront of that for a long time talking to Former presidents and working with with Greer and other people, uh, the, you know the. If you look into the book, he's worked with the Who's Who of ufology throughout the years and been at the forefront of it. So that's a. Uh, he's got an impressive resume, and uh, I agree with him hundred percent. I'm ready for the disclosure where they go, and this is Gleep clop. And he's here to tell us how we get into the Galactic Federation or whatever the hell it is, instead of this uh, cold trickle of of disclosure that people are calling it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with his.
3: If that's what he wants, well, by God, I
2: agree. We didn't spend much time on that, but if um, if that's what he was implying, meaning that what we're getting now is a lot of things, but it's not disclosure, I would actually agree with that. I don't think there's some master plan by, you know, we're going to leak to the New York Times, we're going to have uh, David Fravor come out and say things about Tic Tacs, uh, and, you know, it's all part of this master plan. I I don't believe that.
3: Or if it is a master plan, it's a master plan of disinformation in order to make more money, because that is right up the government's sleeve in my book. So, I don't know, you know, my problem is uh, they don't pay me to make those decisions. I just get my shield check every month and, and cash it and stay in my yard you know yeah, yeah. Take your orders well you know I'm learning how to blink with my third uh, lens and uh, lick my eyes clean from my reptilian overlord so I got that going <laughs> for me <laughs>
2: Just give me a sweet taste of that mm, sweet, sweet adrenaline. Just
3: a, I just need a – Daddy Daddy needs a hit. Come on, baby. <laughs>
2: <If> they <laughs> want to tell us,
3: uh, the listeners at home, about the book, what they like about it, what they liked about Martin, about what they see as what disclosure would be, which I think would be a really fun conversation to have on Hysteria Nation. I just gave it away, John. But where can they tell us? I would
2: suggest sending smoke signals, but if that doesn't work, go to Hysteria Nation. It is our Facebook discussion group. You just go to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation. It is
3: very dry out there, and there's a lot of fires. We're going to say skip the smoke signals for a few months right now is is is
2: my <laughs> takeaway. Carrier pigeons, then. <laughs> right. Fine.
3: While you're on Facebook, don't forget to go to facebook.com slash hysteria51pod. That is our regular page. You can also hop on Patreon, patreon.com slash hysteria51. That is where you can find up all nights, mad, brillary hysterias, all sorts of fun shenanigans. Also, tweet to us at hysteria51pod or at John. He is gofo, light one, G-O-F-O-L-I-T-E-1. I am at the Brent Hand because I am the... Brent's hand. Easy to find.
2: It's safe to say, you're. I agree, it's safe to say they broke the mold. The question is to why they broke the mold.
3: Oh, uh, we all know this. Perfection is perfected and why I mean, you don't even keep going. Voice oh god, don't do it again! Seven seven three six six nine seven two seven seven 7277 Again, Seven seven three six six nine seven two seven seven. 7277 John, let's listen to two. We got a little time. Alright. Alright, so
0: number one coming up. Hey, this is Jeff from Austria. Me and my wife love to listen to you and sleep out.
2: I hope to hear you guys uh, a little more often and we hope to hear an episode about uh, UFO involvement in Europe. Let us know sweet austria
3: nice, home of the former uh governator or whatever you want to call him yeah Uh,
2: yes that's right
3: well we have done a lot of europe i don't know when uh, i don't have the date on that one but we will always be doing more europe and i actually have some of those scheduled coming up uh not in front of me so i can't tell you the topics but we're going to be doing some more european-based shenanigans so that's awesome
2: I don't know if you know this, but the listener that just left that voicemail is better known as the Muscles from Brussels. <laughs> Even though they said they're from Austria, that was just a cunning ruse.
0: It, it was, right. right.
3: <laughs> All right, here we go. One more.
0: Hey, I keep meaning to leave the message, but uh, I
3: figured by the time I actually left this message, um, you guys probably would have just deleted voicemail because nobody uses voicemail anymore, <laughs> and I would just end up having some 10 year old girl's new cell phone number. Um, but uh, is that yeah, a so uh, or? first I just. So, really, the only thing I wanted to say is, uh, Seabot, um, please stop sending me dead cats. No. Uh, last one got delivered to a neighbor. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's not cool. Good. That was on purpose. So, uh, yeah, now I have the restraining order. And, uh, yeah, so Seabot, um, I, I just, I just wanted to say, uh,
2: <laughs> that's it. They All got... right. Seabot, I just wanted to say a quick note to, all of you listeners if you call and leave us a voicemail say your name so we can give you credit unless you don't want to say your name you know what yeah, it's, it's a choose
3: your own adventure john
2: also a quick note to that listener we have tried the whole restraining order thing because he's not considered a sentient being the court won't issue one loophole bitches
3: well at least he's consistent
2: <laughs> he's something and he is something
3: uh so don't forget let us know what you guys got going on uh with uh for disclosure what do you want to hear what do you want to say well how do you feel about the report that we just received and we will talk about that on an upcoming episode a little more in depth i've been kind of waiting to see what's going to come out and we'll find out here in the next coming weeks or
2: or if anything i mean fuck nothing's come out yeah. the report didn't i mean there was nothing to it
3: well no uh you know but uh nine nine pages of nothingness is uh yeah that should <laughs> nine pages of nothingness that's what that should have titled the entire thing so anyway
2: we'll see like what? this pot 90 it, it, we, we should rename the podcast 90 minutes of nothingness <laughs> with that said i've been brent i've been john
3: he's been conspiracy
2: bot stay woke meet sex it was terrible it was just terrible oh Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favorite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria
0: Nation. Or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51pod. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?